Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. Okay, this is Legacy Battle. I am Brian King, filling in for Michael Adams this week. Please subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or whichever platform you are on right now. Get our content first. Uh, the panelists for tonight's show, uh, from the Gridiron Battle Zone, we have Rollo Cathon. From the Sunshine State Sports Jabber, we have Bradley Walker and former Penn State athlete Kevin Adams. Uh, originally, we we're going to have two very special guests tonight, but we actually have three. So first off, we are joined tonight by the current director of events and volunteer engagement at Pikes Peak United Way, two-time Team USA Olympic judoka. She also won the World Junior Championship for Judo in 1994, and you may recognize her from her role in Home Alone and Big Girls Don't Cry. We welcome Hillary Wolf. Uh, we are also joined by the other half of this power couple, uh, a man who was ranked number one in the U.S. at Greco-Roman Wrestling. Uh, he served as an Olympic alternate for Team USA and also coached Team USA in the 2016 Olympics in Rio. Welcome, Chris Saba. And also our late entry, we have 1976 Yugoslavian Olympic gold medalist, Momir Petkovic. So welcome to all you guys. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this is truly an honor uh, to be around. You know, all you guys are just great athletes. So tonight we will be debating the top five greatest Greco-Roman wrestlers of all time. So we're going to go to Bradley first, and he is going to talk about Alexander Karelin. Alexander Karelin. Um, uh, dominated uh, world world up. Uh, Roman, Roman super heavyweight wrestling from the late 1980s. Um, he won gold medals in 1988, 1992, 1996. And at in the 2000 games at Sydney, his 13-year unbeaten streak ended uh, by Ruben Gardner, who I also will be covering later on. Um, he won a silver medal that year. Uh, he, at birth, he, he was six foot three. Weigh 131 kilos or 290 pounds. Oh, uh, I, I, believe, I believe at birth he weighed 15 pounds. I'm sorry. Okay. That, yeah, was he was 6.8 6. kilograms, 15 pounds at birth. Is, as an adult, he was 1.9 meters, 6 feet 3 inches tall, and weighed 290 pounds. Did he make the weight? <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. Um, but yes, he won a series of world championships, 89, 91, 93-95, 97-99. Um, one of the best in Russia. Uh, that is where he is from. Um, so one of the best uh, Russian Greco-Roman wrestlers in history. Right. So, um, Chris, I'm going to come to you on this one first. Uh, Karelin, he was so dominant for so long that it's actually been suggested that he is the best wrestler of all time, regardless of style. So what are your thoughts on people who make that claim? That's that's one that's hard to argue. I think I don't think there's a winning streak that's longer than that. Um, you know, the one caveat to that, and I'm not going to demean any particular end of the spectrum of the sport, but if you look over history, the people that have the longest winning streaks tend to be either at heavyweight or at the really lightweight classes. Um, why that might be, I mean, some argue that, you know, some of the larger athletes will gravitate to other sports and, and I'm not trying to demean it in any way, but he truly has the longest, if you go by pure numbers, he is, the, the discussion is over, but I will say as far as the people that could rival him, uh, just people of that size and stature, you know, you know, 280 pounds, in there, there's just not as many out there that are that are doing it. So, you know, that that's the one somewhat caveat I have to say to that. Um, you know, it's unfortunate he lost right at the end of his career, but also he was he was you know he was I'm not sure how old he was, and Momir might know this. He when he lost, he might have been 37, 38 when he when Rulon beat him, and Rulon beat him fair and square, straight up, which was amazing. We're going to talk about that, but. Um, no, that's that's what I have to say about Graham. But he's, you know, it's, he he is when you look at a, a as a, a human and his physical stature when he was at his prime, there is no other. You, you couldn't make a, a a figure that looked more muscular and intimidating than him. That's what he's known for. Right, right. Like, All right, let's move on to Peter Kiroff, Kevin. Yeah, Peter Kiroff from Bulgaria. Uh, he's a three-time Olympian. He began as a teenager. Uh, at junior level, he was one of the best Bulgarian wrestlers in Greco-Roman uh, style, but he wasn't able to prevail against a strong competition until he got to about age 24, uh, which is a little late for wrestlers um, to, to start to shine. Um, but he had an unusual successful career that got him three world championships in 1970, 1971, and 74. He also got four European Cup titles in 67, 70, 74, and 76. He also placed second in uh, 1968 in the European Cup as well. Uh, he won two Olympic gold medals in 68 and 72. He also made the Olympic team in 76, but he didn't medal that year. Um, he wrestled in his first international championship in 1966 at the European Championship in the flyweight weight class, uh, where he actually finished fifth, um, even after winning his first three fights uh, in that uh, championship. Um, a year later is when he would take his first European title. Uh, in 1968, he was undefeated through five fights, uh, but got second place uh, finish in that in that title uh, run. He probably would have taken the 69 European Cup, but unfortunately, his country had boycotted the event that year, so he wasn't able to compete. Uh, but in 1970, this was one of his most successful uh, years. He won the European title that year in Berlin. He won the World Championships in Edmonton. Um, and then in 72 Olympics, he won gold after winning six matches. Um, he 
was a tac tactician, but he got the job done. Uh, he defeated his nemesis, uh, Michaelic, uh, to get his second gold. In 76, he was 34 years old, which is, that's getting up there in age. Uh, and this was his grand finale for his successful career. Uh, he won his final European title. And he was very optimis optimistic going into the Olympics uh, that year. But unfortunately, he got injured in his first match and he couldn't continue. Um, despite the adversity that he went through during his career, he's one of the most successful wrestlers in Greco-Roman style of all time. He resigned after the Olympics in 76. He finished in sports studies at the National Sports Academy in Sofia and then successfully participated in several clubs in Sofia as a coach. Um, and then from 87 until his retirement, he uh, was a lecturer for the NSA his, for his contributions to the sports wrestler, uh, wrestling. Uh, he was taken in September of 2007 in the FILA International Wrestling Hall of Fame. And a fun fact, uh, if you look at the uh, most popular wrestlers uh, based on Wikipedia, um, he's actually ranked 130, uh, and that's including all wrestlers. Even the WWE, WCW, like the big-time wrestlers, he was, in, he was ranked 130, and there's only two other wrestlers we're talking about tonight that are actually ahead of him. Uh, and that was Carolyn and, and Westergren. Um, but I, I thought that was a, a fun fact that he's, he's in the top 130 for most popular on Wikipedia. Well, you mentioned that, you know, that, that he was a flyweight. Um, so, Momir, I have a question for you. Um, when you are training wrestlers in different weight classes, do the techniques vary or is the approach still the same? Well, basically, you know, usually uh, the process of, of you know, preparing uh, different weight classes and, and guys to those uh, high-level competitions, you know, usually we have coaches like for lighter weight classes and, and you know, uh, coaches where they're like, where they basically competed almost like, you know, they kind of more kind of, you know, like paying attention on, 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 on weight classes, like where they were like functional when they were competing. So that's usually the approach, you know, that's that's how we were approaching. But, uh, you know, so generally uh, talking about, you know, techniques, it's like very individual, doesn't matter, you know, what weight class you're going to be, you know, wrestling in and all of them, doesn't matter if they are 52 kilo, like a lightweight or a midweight or a heavyweight, they're developing their own kind of uh, uh, process of, of scoring, defending, so they all kind of, you know, wrestling on a very specific way. Nobody else is doing it, just themselves for themselves, you know. So that's basically the whole concept, you know, like of, of getting the best to be able, you know, just to to force your opponent to, to wrestle your wrestling, to, to be on your comfortable zone. You know? Right, right. Okay. So um, now I'm going to talk about, talk about Isfahan Cosma. Um, he was six foot six, a heavyweight out of Hungary. Um, he was likely the best of the 1960s. He won six total golds, uh, medaled 10 times uh, on the world stage. Uh, one gold in the European Championships, three in the World Championships, um, and at both the 1964 and 1968 Olympics. Uh, tragically, just 18 months after winning the gold at, at the Mexico City Olympic Games, uh, he was killed in a car accident at the age of 30. Uh, so perhaps he could have added to his legacy, but, you know, unfortunately we will never know. Um, it was kind of a sad story there, but yeah, he was, uh, while he was alive, he was one, one heck of a wrestler. Um, let's see number. 
So now, let me ask you this question, Chris. Um, Cosma being a six foot six guy, how tall are you, by the way? Five eight. You're five. Okay, yeah. So, you know, does your approach change? You know, when you're going against somebody that is that much taller than you? Absolutely, and and I think in any combat sport, you know, whether it probably be boxing, judo, or wrestling, uh, you know, the stature of, of the person definitely changes. And, you know, a lot of people might not know a ton about Greco-Roman wrestling, but a lot of the points that are scored are on the mat, which we call parterre. So somebody that, and I would just, this is a definite generalization, but somebody that is that tall and that long uh, can be very difficult to turn, to expose their back. Um, they also can have some interesting ways of, of locking around somebody because their, their arms are, are so long. Um, you'll see a lot of the real tall guys do different techniques. So absolutely, yes, yeah, somebody that's that, that tall for sure would have different uh, techniques that would be harder to defend and things you'd have to watch out for them doing offensively. Right. All right, well, let's move on to Carl Westergren, Rollo. Carl Westergren, one of the earliest, greatest wrestlers of all time, was one of the first inductees into the International <clears throat> Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, he was a three-time Olympic gold medalist, which he won in three different weight classes as a lightweight, middleweight, and unlimited. <clears throat> he uh, is also a three-time national uh, world champion in three different weight classes as well. He finished with seven gold medals, a bronze, uh, and he also went from 1917 to 1933. He had won 13 different national titles uh, in European championships as well. So well, he's one of the greatest, one of the earliest greatest, and he wasn't a big guy. He wrestled at different different weight classes and dominated in three different weight classes. Carl Westerman, one of the greatest of all time. Well, Raleigh, you mentioned about the weight class, three different weight classes. Um, uh, Hillary, I got a question for you. Uh, I know that, like, as a, as a boxing fan, I prefer to watch the middleweight fighters over the heavyweight fighters. I just feel like the, like the quality is better. So in your opinion, does that same thing sort of translate whenever you're watching uh, Greco-Roman wrestling? Is there is there like a weight class that you prefer to watch better? Like it kind of has like better watchability, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I would say <laughs> without uh... – making fun of heavyweights because I don't want to. There's just a lot more activity sometimes with the lighter weights and the middle weights. Um, I think the, you know, I was a lightweight. I cut tons of weight, but I'm 5'2", so I kind of got stuck in the super flyweight, and then I moved up one weight class for 2,000. But to me, the most competitive athletes in, you know, combat sports are those mid-sized athletes because they just have to beat so many people you know, the normal weight of, you know, a female or male adult in wrestling, it's just those divisions are so stacked. And so, um, you know, it's super impressive when somebody, especially somebody like this guy who can move up a weight class and still win, that's ridiculous. I mean, to win three Olympic titles at three weight classes is insane. Um, but for sure, I really enjoy lightweights and you know, the middle weight classes, I would say. Uh, heavyweight's a different animal, although I have to say there's some athletes now that, you know, are looking more like Corellin where they're 286 pounds and they have 3% body fat. 
you know, there's some judo athletes like that. There's a judo guy from France. His name is Teddy Reiner and he's won the Olympics. He's won the wor world multiple times and he's just, you know, unbelievable. He probably could go get on an NFL team tomorrow if he wanted to, you know? So, um, you know, but for the most part, I would say, yeah, it's a little bit quicker, a little fast moving, uh, pretty exciting when you go to those lower weights. Right, right. I just want to interject real quick. Uh, and this question's for Hillary and Chris. Um, meeting uh, weight class, like meeting meeting weight. <laughs> I remember when I was in high school sitting in class spitting in a bottle because I had to lose a pound. So uh, what is it like trying to make sure you meet, you meet that, that weight class that you're in? Horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> it's the worst part of the sport. I cut way too much weight. Chris can attest to it. He was there for a lot of it. But I, I actually started at 48 kilos, which is 105 and a half, when I was 15 years old. And I won the senior nationals. And then I stayed at that same weight class until I was 21 years old. So by the time I, you know, was done, I think the last tournament I did was the 97 Worlds um, at 48 kilos. I was cutting like 20 pounds plus. And that's hard for a woman and for somebody as small as me you know, weighing 130, 125 to 130 and cutting down to 105 and a half. It's the toughest thing I've ever done. And parenting is pretty hard, but I'm going to say cutting weights slightly harder. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we mentioned uh, Rulon Gardner earlier, so let's move on to him. Go ahead, Bradley. Rulon Gardner, uh, American, American woman Greco wrestler. Um, as I said earlier, he is the one who ended uh, Carolyn's 13-year unbeaten streak. Um, Garner has one gold medal, one bronze medal. Uh, he won a gold in 2000 and a bronze medal in the 2004 Olympics. Um, he is from Afton, Wyoming. Um, he has gone through a lot in his life. He never thought he could become a, uh, a medalist, which obviously we know that he has two. Um, he uh, was on, uh, he, his family, the way that how he became what he became, his family owned a 250 uh, acre dairy farm in Wyoming. So that's how he became uh, as strong as he is. Um, he had a tough upbringing. Um, he did have a learning disability in school. So, um, and I guess they said they gave him nicknames as such as Dumbo and later Fatso due to his size. So he was able to overcome all of that and win two medals in the Olympics. So all props to that, that, you know, he took the bullies and said, you know what, I'm going to prove you guys all wrong. And that's what he did. All right. Well, we mentioned, a, you know, a few different countries that these wrestlers have come from. This is our first and only American we're going to talk about. Um, so, Mamir, my question to you is, um, first off, which countries do you think have the, have the best uh, Greco-Roman wrestlers? And, do you think it's possible that the United States will ever be able to sort of close the gap and become one of those countries as well? Well, <clears throat> uh, which countries? I mean, there is, I think Russia is the deepest, yeah. uh, you know, deepest country with a Greco-Roman, you know, uh, school and wrestling. Uh, there is, you know, some other countries around pretty good, uh, pretty deep, but I would say Russia will be the number one country in, in Greco-Roman wrestling. Uh, about U.S., you know, uh, U.S. proved already once that they can have a, a top-notch, you know, world-class Greco-Roman wrestling team. 
you know, representing U.S. There is no question about it. There is so many kids out there in everywhere, in any high school you go, because my grandson is now in high school in the last three and a half years. I'm kind of more kind of involved with uh, with high school, you know, kids and just kind of looking around. And just like last year, I was with the Indiana team in Fargo. And just in the short three days in, or in, in a week in Fargo, how many kids I saw, what kind of potential they have for Greco-Roman wrestling. The problem is, you know, the roots are not here. And uh, it's a very kind of uh, uncomfortable zone, uh, you know, for, for, for kids coming out from folk style. And, and you know, they're normally going to turn to much closer style, freestyle. And uh, especially, you know, the way they trained and, uh, and, uh, and the way, you know, they were raised. Because, you know, in, in folk style, when you get slammed on your head, it's like a fall right away. It's like totally illegal. And in Greco, is like a, that's like a highlight of the year, or highlight of the whole tournament. You know, everybody's waiting for that moment. So you know that kind of uh, approach. If would be like, uh, you know, uh, uh, if 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 that would be kind of uh, be able to pull out, you know, with all the wrestling family in U.S. and definitely, you know, with the leadership of USA Wrestling, they're really going to stay behind Greco for for a hundred percent and do everything possible. I think there is no question in my mind that, that US would not be between those top countries in the world in, in Greco. Where we proved that even without that, you know, just kinda, you know example, you know, we had like maybe uh, every generation, you know, bringing medals like maybe we had like you know, maybe like ten, twelve Greco wrestlers whoever makes the team, they can you know, compete in a world level. So you can compare to the rest of the nations out there, especially Europe and, you know, like uh, even further east, Iran and that kind of stuff, Turkey. It's 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 unbelievable. Like, you know, this uh, Mumir would say, it's unbelievable. So <laughs> definitely, you know, like, uh, uh, I truly believe that, that there is no question in my mind. Yes, yes, yes. I want to interject. I want to. I want to brag on Momir for a second. So you guys probably don't know this, but in 2007, the U.S. Greco-Roman wrestling team won the team title. That's unheard of. It's like impossible. And Momir was the you know a big part of the reason why that happened. Him and Steve Frazier, and there was definitely a lot of other support. No, accept it. It's true, and it's amazing. I mean, it's truly unbelievable. They took a group of guys that put their careers in the hands of their coaches and they said, tell us what to do, coach. And they listened and they did it, you know? So it's pretty incredible. And he's right. There are a lot of talented wrestlers in our country. Chris and my sons both wrestle. I mean, Momir's grandson's wrestling. There are so many good wrestlers. The problem is it's just like Greco-Roman wrestling is kind of parallel to judo in this country. Judo is huge everywhere else in the world. I mean, it's the number two sport behind soccer in France. They are killer there. Cuba's killer. South America, everybody does judo. But in the United States, it's so small. In the United States, all the kids think about is freestyle wrestling. And the thing is, if we could just get them started, a larger group of them with the Greco from a young age, because it is a different animal. It's different than freestyle. They have the potential to win in that the same as they do in freestyle. I mean, you guys probably aren't aware, or maybe you are, but our freestyle team 
wins everything. That's because all the kids end up going to do freestyle. We just need to direct more of them to the Greco style at a younger age. And then we'll have, you know, much deeper weight classes and then they can push each other to do better, you know, as they're growing. Yeah. Hopefully team USA can, can keep that kind of momentum going. Um, all right, let, let's move on to uh, Mihan Lopez. Rallo? The kid, probably the most decorated Cuban uh, Olympic athlete of all time, as well as any, any athlete, uh, as well as around the world. Uh, he's a four-time Olympic gold medalist. <clears throat> Over his career, he won 32 gold medals, four silvers and one bronze. Um, he wrestled at, he was 6'6", 286 pounds, and he was nicknamed the kid. He won gold at the Tokyo Olympics at age 38, which is, which is difficult to do at that age. You know, you're wrestling against youngsters, 25, 24, 26 years old, and you're winning gold at 38. Um, he, he, uh, made his debut at the Pan, Pan Am Games at the age of 16, and it just took off from there. One gold, one gold there. Um, <clears throat> he's a four-time, uh, four-time Pan Am Games champion, three-time silver medalist at the World Championships, four-time gold medalist at the World Championships. The, the medals, the, the the if not behind Carolyn, who who probably is the greatest, I would say Mihan Lopez is the the second greatest Greco-Roman wrestler of all time. Right. Well, yeah. When I when I look at his um. His resume, I mean, it's very impressive. But uh, the only thing I would question, I'm going to go to Chris on this one, is, you know, a lot of that success happened in Latin America. Is that at the same level as, you know, as other parts of the world? Is that some something where you sort of pump your brakes? Or is that just, just as good as anywhere else, in your opinion? Uh, it's not as good as anywhere else, but he's also proved it on the, the larger stage. So he's uh, – he, and any – any uh, competition he came to compete in that I've seen him compete, and this is even not being there in person, he's won. But again, he's another one that his he's a physical specimen. You know, looks like you know any NFL player that you look at that like oh, the middle linebacker that's you know two fifty two and this guy's two eighty and five percent body fat and can do a backflip standing. And you know, picks this man of the same size up off the mat, and you know, throws them on their head. So, yeah, he's he's dominant. There, there's a uh, he's he's so dominant. You know, since Rulon and Karelin, and I don't know if Rulon ever actually wrestled him, but there's there's been very few that even gave him a go in a match that I've seen, regardless of. And, and Cuba is a country that doesn't have the means financially to compete in as many international tournaments also. So uh, that might be why he doesn't have as many, you know, those international matches, those people, you know, for him, and I know him, I've been there and man, I've been to Cuba seven times. Momir has been there a bunch. And, you know, I, I, he took me out for a ride in his car. He won for winning a, a gold medal. And it was some tiny little Fiat that, you know, when he sat down into it, you know, it was, you know, three inches lower on that side. So <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a it's a different it's a different world there you know momir has got this amazing uh little poster he put together of pictures from uh to inspire our team 
and it was, hey, it was, uh, it was just pictures of their weight room and their wrestling room and, and some of their, uh, their training facilities. And it said, hey, when you don't think what you have, what you need to win, why is Cuba winning? And it just, oh. it's, you know, it, it's, it was really profound and it had you know, a big impact on the athletes, such as Ruin Gardner, which Momir was there the whole time through his winning. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, let's move on to uh, Vicenzo Maenza. This guy's an underdog, and you got you got to hear the story. Okay, um, he's smaller in stature too. So, stature is a smaller guy, underdog story. But uh, I think he deserves to have a, a, ch a chance in this top five. So, he's Italian uh, Greco-Roman wrestler, nicknamed Police Policino Policino. I think I'm saying that right, uh, or a Thumbelin' uh, for a small stature, a small size, but he's considered to be the best wrestler in Italian history. He won two gold medals and a silver medal at the 84, 88, and 92 Olympic Games. Uh, he is the first and only Italian wrestler to win three Olympic medals, and he is the first and only one who has been able to win two gold medals. Uh, when he was a child, he only weighed about 60 pounds and had scoliosis. Um, he started wrestling at the age of 12. He started competing in 76. He became a national champion several times um, in Italy, and he won 79. Uh, in 79, he won a silver medal at the Mediterranean Games. He competed in the Moscow Olympics the following year, but he placed seventh, but he didn't give up. He continued going, training. He won bronze at the Junior European Championship and a gold at the Junior World Championship. In 84, he became the Olympic champion for the first time at the Los Angeles Games. He defeated his opponent that year, in the final match, in a minute and 59 seconds, with a score of 12 to 0, he shut his opponent out in that final gold medal match. In 87, he had a successful year. He became the European champion, silver medalist at the World Championship. A year later, in 88, at the Olympics in Seoul, he won the gold medal for a second time. In 92, at the Olympics in Barcelona, he made it to the final match, but he, he, he lost. He won the silver medal, but he lost to a guy that was 10 years younger than him. <laughs> So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, some of the age, you know, gaps. Um, you know, he still made it to that final match, got the silver. At the end of his career, he finished with the three Olympic medals, the two golds, the one silver, the one European championship, and two bronze medalists um, in that champion, the European champion. He was a one-time silver medalist, two-time bronze medalist at the World Champions, two-time gold medalist, and one bronze medalist in the Mediterranean Games. In 2005, he was inducted into the International Wrestlers Hall of Fame, uh, FILA, and he said this about wrestling, because all other sports like soccer are played for pleasure, wrestling not. Love it or hate it, wrestling needs a superhuman conviction to do well and succeed, of motivations that are inside you. It's your challenge against your disquiet, against your nightmares, and against your inside enemy. This man is an inspiration. He is an underdog. He is smaller than his opponents. And he has the stats to, to definitely have an argument to be in this top five tonight. So I, I'd love that quote by him. I'll just read a little bit of it again. All other sports like soccer played for pleasure. Wrestling is not, um, you know, it needs the superhuman conviction. Uh, motivations are inside of you. you know, you're, you're going against your nightmares. Momir, is that is that accurate for, for you know, a, a competitor in wrestling, do you think? It's very accurate. Very accurate, you know, because basically, you know, you're dealing with it's somebody just like you, you know, who's chasing his dreams and doing what you're doing for years and years. And now 
all those skills, all those mentalities, all those, uh, you know, capabilities are, you know, colliding at the same, at, at the, at the highest level in the world. And, and it's just, you know, kind of to, to, you know, handle those kind of stuff. You have to really kind of have some, some very, very, you know, special, um, uh, capabilities, you know, to, to, to do that, to be there and to, and to prevail, especially to prevail, you know. And then one of the things what, what, you know, really kind of like what he said, like, you know, those, those inside, you know, battles, what you have with yourself, those are basically one of the, sometimes one of the toughest ones, you know, to go through, to get there where you want to go. Right, right. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our final wrestler tonight. And that is Valerie Rezentsev. Um, he was five foot ten, 198. He was a light heavyweight at the 90 kilograms uh, level. He was a native of uh, Kazakhstan, but he wrestled for the Soviet Union. I mean, we all know the political situation back in the 70s. Um, he completely dominated the sport for a span of six years. A very strong argument could be made that he was the best Greco-Roman wrestler of the 1970s decade. Uh, he racked up 10 gold medals on the world stage. 1970, 1973, 74 in the European Championships, 72 and 76 in the Olympics, and 70, 71, 73, 74, and 75 in the World Championships. After his career, he became a wrestling coach, and now he's something of an elder statesman for the sport. Um, I've seen a few articles uh, you know, written where they're, they're getting his opinion on like the current pulse of uh, Greco-Roman wrestling. In uh, 2003, he became one of the first of the ten, uh, the first of ten inductees into the FILA International Wrestling Hall of Fame. Um, so, Hillary, I'm going to come to you on this one. Um, one thing about Valerie uh, uh, Rezentsev was he was known for bicycle racing, racing um, that he did in his youth, and he credited it for building up his stamina. So is there is there any other simple exercises that a wrestler can use to, to help him train or her? Oh, for sure. I think, um, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the talks we have now that we have, our, we run our kids' youth wrestling club. So, of course, a lot of the parents want to know, you know, how their kids can be the best. Um, I'm not sure about Momir, but Chris and I did tons of other sports when we were a kid. I think one of the best things that you can do as an athlete when you're little is to actually be well-rounded. I actually, I played uh, field hockey for eight years. I loved all the really feminine sports, judo and field hockey. So, um, but I, I ran track. I played basketball. I was horrible, but I stole the ball like 20, 20 times a game. Um, couldn't make a basket to save my life. But I do think that that's kind of missing nowadays. Everyone that we know, all of our friends, kids, are like one sport year round kids from eight years old. It's like everybody thinks their kid's gonna go to the Olympics when they're eight years old because they won a few soccer games. And I'm not trying to to poke at those parents, but I actually think, you know, the rise in in orthopedic surgery for kids age eight to fifteen has gone up like a thousand percent. And it's because kids are doing one sport only over and over and over and over. And it's not good for the body. I also think it's not great for the mind. I think one of my saving graces was I loved sports, but I was an anxious kid. You know, it's weird that I picked judo, but I loved the sport, but I loved being able to 
kind of have that break and do team sports because when you do a sport like wrestling or judo, it's not like swimming. You know, swimming's difficult in its own way, of course, but nobody's trying to pin you or throw you or in judo choke you out or armbar you. You know, it's super intense and it's all on you. Doesn't matter who your mom or dad are, how much money you have. When you step out on the mat, you either win or you get your butt kicked, you know, and, and the proof's in the pudding. So um, I think there's a ton of things that you can do. Cross training is so important. Momir always had the Greco guys doing games, like games that were good for their training, but good for their soul. That's the type of thing that um, I think it's a little too serious, too young right now for kids. And that's a line that Chris and I walk with our own kids. And I know a lot of other parents do too. I, I think it's worth having Momir say one thing here, and I, I still remember him as far as his training philosophy and how he grew up. But in, if I remember correctly, I remember his uh, his coaches and stuff. They almost would have wait till the athlete was almost begging to compete. Like, no, no, you can't compete yet. You're not ready. No, you're not. Ready. Come on, coach. I want to wrestle this weekend. Nope. We're our our, it's the other way here where we're telling, come on, you should do it this weekend. Go wrestle. You can beat that kid. Go, let's go to the tournament on Saturday and Sunday. So Momir, if you don't, if you don't mind, just a quick philosophy on as you're developing as an athlete, you know, from, from in your work. But you know, just generally, you know, like to develop or to guide somebody to start loving and start enjoying by taking time and and guiding him to the process and giving him a tools and knowledge and getting him ready to use that the right way by just like Hillary talked about a little bit, you know, those games and and a lot of, you know, like uh, uh, stuff, coordination, a lot of games. I like to do the games even, you know, with the, with the, with the top level athletes, especially when I coach. The reason is very simple because in the games, I never... I always force them when we play a game, you you know, you have to react in a moment, just like when you wrestle, because as soon as you are late for a split second with a reaction, you know, it's gone. Also, like, you know, when you when we play anything, handball, soccer, football, you get the ball and you start thinking, what are you going to do? They throw you already five times. And the explosion, the movement to stop, to, to have a sense of the, where you at? What's going on around you? You know, what, you know how you, which way you need to go. So that's a so important, you know, uh, uh, part of the whole, you know, whole circle. How to develop somebody, you know, to to become the best he can be. So he's going to be Olympic champion, world champion. Nobody knows, but I guarantee you, he he's going to be the best he can be. So you know, I I started wrestling. I was seven seven years old. I had my first match after three years. One match, one match, uh, be, you know, the team where I was competing, they, they, there was like a rivalry, a duel. So before that duel, the, the two best kids in a club that age, 10 years, they had a, they had a match before that duel. And then after that, I, I, maybe two, three years, then I had a first tournament. And like that, you know, little by little by little, but that, I, after three years when I wrestled, you can tell, you know, how much I learned, how much tools I had. And, and in that process, in the three years, I fell in love with the, with, with the sport of wrestling, unbelievable. 
So, you know, whatever is going, whatever is going to happen, I'm not going to walk away because I, I just, I just loved it. And that's, I think, uh, a lot of, a lot of times what I'm seeing here, the coaches, they're missing that. And, 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 you know, like everything needs to be done in, uh, 15 seconds and the way cutting when you mentioned Dory. So in my opinion, a way cutting, I would never let any kid cut weight. Even, even, uh, you know, like, uh, athletes, they're developing because how are you going to be the best you can be when you grow into the place where you belong to? Then you can be the hundred percent, whatever is that. And definitely, you know, when you get there and you're stuck somewhere in the middle, then you're going to make a choice. And then if you make a choice to cut like few kilos or you're going to go up few kilos, that's, you know, a different approach. But in a process, especially, you know, when, when you're raising these young champs and young, young, you know, kids to be the best they can do, it's so important, you know, to understand the process. And what I'm seeing just around, you know, not, not, I mean, <laughs> very, very few coaches understand, you know, what really kind of takes and, and, you know, it's what, what, how they have a kind of process. This is like, you know, if you, if you put the, the, put the tree in your backyard, a young tree and you, every morning you go out there and cut down two branches and look at the tree after three, four years, how that's going to look like. You're going to have to take it out. Same, you know, with the process with the young kids and, you know, just, you know, to, to, you know, be able to, to guide them to reach their, their potential. That's, that's a great analogy. I like that. Well, let, let's move on now to our vote tonight. Uh, remember, panelists, you cannot choose one of the men that you rep tonight. So, uh, Rallo, let's go to you first. Um, I'm going to go with the underdog here. Um, Rulon Gardner, who had probably the biggest win of everybody on this panel. Took down Carolyn, so I'm I'm putting Luan Gardner on there. All right, uh, Bradley. I'll put Carl Westergren on that list. I'll put him okay. Westergren. Okay, go ahead, Kevin. I mean, Carolyn's got to be on this list, so save him for me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, Carolyn. Yeah. Um. Okay, for me, I I'll tell you what I I like what Chris said about. Uh, about Lopez, I mean, yes, he, you know, he was facing inferior talent, but when the chips were down against the best, the best in the world, he still showed up. He still won. So I'm going to go with Lopez. Um, so that leaves one to go for our top five. So Chris, do you want to take the final one? Who's remaining? Uh, we have um, Kirov, uh, Rezentsev, uh, Mayenza, Cosma. Well, it's tough because I'd like to put a couple of them out there. Um, you know, I'm going to go with hearing a little bit about this Italian guy, and I knew about him. Um, and one thing we didn't talk about is Italy. It, it's a popular sport there, but for him to do what he did coming from Italy, which I know he did not have the training partners, and I know that he did not have the resources and to win the way he did, and just to hear his quote, and because that's what it took for sure for him to do that. So, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and say Mayenza on there. All it's right. Fun. Good job, guys. So our top five, we have Carolyn, 
Rulon Gardner, Westergren, Lopez, and Mayenza. Um, Mo Mir, is there anybody that we did not talk about tonight that you would like to give a shout out to? Well, you know, it's, uh, <clears throat> I mean, all of them, like, you know, uh, I like all the, you know, nominees, uh, especially Lopez, because I'm, I'm going to just give a short breakdown about Lopez, you know, not just, you know, like, uh, he was a four-time Olympic gold medalist, what's like incredible, you know, nobody did it. And when I'm, t when I talk about somebody, I don't just look the medals, you know, medals, put, put the medals on the side. When I see Lopez, and the reason why I'm saying this is because I touched him. I, I played with him like 15 minutes. And I, you know, uh, I always believe that I, I understand the sport very much and I sense the sport very much. <laughs> and I played with him like a big guy, like Chris, you know, described this guy. And you don't feel him. You don't, you don't sense him where you see what's going on. And every time, wherever you step, he's not there. And you kind of, falling through, you know, <laughs> not in front of you. Or when he touches you, kind of, you have a sense he's going to push you a little bit. You, as soon as you step into him a little bit to stop that momentum, he's already somewhere else and you're falling on your head. So somebody like that, it's like, it's like something like priceless, you know, forget about the medals. So I can bring the, the 52 kilo guy to wrestle him. He's going to wrestle him without hurting him. And he's going to score on him without using his physical capabilities and that's that's the that's the top of the top of the olymp you know that's that's you can go better you know better than that even if you didn't want those medals you know but just to mention somebody else at that same time in Valery Lezantsev he is up there he was the same generation like he, they are a little bit older than me I remember them very well Nikolai Balboshin who wrestled in 220 uh, pounder, two-time Olympic champion, five-time world champion. Uh, in Moscow, he got hurt at the Olympics. Uh, his muscle kind of just kind of ripped in his leg and he couldn't wrestle. So that was his last competition. But just his character when he went out there. And, you know, the time when he wrestled, there wasn't uh, like a forced parterre, like a wrestling on a mat. So if you want to wrestle on a mat, you have to be able to to throw somebody or take somebody down to the mat to be able to do your gut wrenches and lifts and all kind of stuff. And this guy was like really kind of true, like warrior character, you know, like like to wrestle contact right away. He likes to, you know, lock up and he had a beautiful body lock and, you know, wrestled all the time from the first to the, to the last minute. And I just loved his character. That's the reason I just want to mention. Nice, nice. Okay, well, let's open up now our, our Q&A part of the show. Um, Rollo, you can go ahead and go first. Uh, just whatever, if you have a question for any one of our special guests, go for it. This is actually a question for each one of you. Um, who that you've watched or you've trained or you've trained with is the most technically sound wrestler you've ever faced, seen or faced off against or practiced against? Omir, you go first. Okay. Um, there's a 52 kilo guys, uh, uh, Russian guy. Uh, I'm going to just, the name. Um, okay. One, one tag, Blagadze. And then uh, 
the Romanian guy, Nicu Jinga. And both of them, like, you know, like, they were world champions. And I remember one finals in the world, they wrestled. And then both of them, they have a very specific uh, way of doing arm throws. And they did it unbelievable. It was so enjoyable to watch. So they wrestled like that time was like nine minutes, three times, three minutes, no force part there. And the match ended up, I think it was like 14, 12 or 14, 11. It was like an unbelievable wrestling match, but I'm, I'm never going to forget. Like, you know, pure wrestling, no tactic, no this, no that, just just pure wrestling. And that's that's something like, you know, like, like you really can, you know, uh, wish or see, you know, nothing uh, better or wish for it, you know, to, to be nothing better. So that's that's what I would just kind of mention. And then it off, you know, I, I think of one specific match and, you know, I got to wrestle the best guys in the world. I was never the best guy in the world. I was the best guy in the U.S. for a few years. And, and I beat a couple good guys, but I wasn't, you know, you know, didn't win any medals. But I remember a specific uh, Korean wrestler I had to wrestle. And uh, you never wrestle in fear. You, you never want to wrestle in fear. But I have to be honest, I wrestled a little bit in fear against this guy. And in Greco-Roman wrestling, you go to a parterre position where one guy's on top. And this guy had this reverse lift move where he picked you up and picked you all up and slammed. Like Corellin's, uh, Corellin's trademark move was that Corellin could do this to heavyweights. No heavyweights could do it. Corellin was the only one. So I was so scared of getting slammed in my head by this guy that I actually tried to stand up from the bottom, which is not many people do it. I wasn't even good at doing it. But I said, you know what? In the chance that maybe I get away, it's definitely if I get away, he's not going to slam me on my head. And sure enough, I did get away. I still got my ass kicked in the match, but I did not get slammed in my head. So that worked, and it was out of pure fear that I did something that I never even trained to do, but I, in a split second, said, man, I'm going to give this a whirl because I know for sure this guy's going to slam in my head if I don't. <laughs> nice. I want to I answer, but I want to say a judo person to make it fair so it's real. Sure, um, sure. So there was a judo player from Japan. Her name was Ryoko Tamura. And she won everything. She was the smallest little person. I was cutting all this weight to make 48 kilos. She probably had to eat to be enough to weigh above 45 kilos. I mean, she was four foot nothing. And she looked like a little Cupid doll. And she was just the biggest badass right. ever. And so when I was, let's see, it was 1995. So in 1994, I won the Junior Worlds. And... In 1995, the senior world championships were in Japan and the Japanese media found out about me being an actress because I never told anybody. I always wanted to be looked at for my athletic accomplishments. I didn't want to be different than anybody else, but the Japanese found out about this and they built up this huge rivalry. We'd never <laughs> competed. And so, of course, uh, I'm, I'm not, of course, I unbelievably, I have a great draw at the Worlds, 19 years old. I make it to the semifinals of the Worlds. Guess who I have in the semifinals of the Worlds? Tamura. And I will say this, I, I should have been scared, but I, I wasn't scared. I actually, I went out there and I attacked and she was so freaking smooth 
she threw me, she countered me, you know, and it happened so fast. I didn't even know what hit me. She pwned me, which is a full point. So it was done rather quickly. So I didn't really, you know, help them with the rivalry that they were trying to build up. So I apologize to the Japanese media for that, but she was just the slickest, you know, just textbook, beautiful judo. I mean, it was, she was so smooth. I didn't even know what she was doing. Now that's what Momir's talking about with Lopez. So it doesn't really matter how big you are. It's about the feel that you have for the sport. Lopez is almost 300 pounds. This girl was barely a hundred pounds and they just had that feel for the sport. And it's just, it's pretty beautiful to watch when somebody's a really good wrestler or a really good judo player. And um, so that was my, that was my experience. Go ahead, Bradley. Uh, my questions are just for Hillary. I got one uh, sport related question and then one acting question. Um, Hillary, what are, what are your thoughts on Ronda Rousey's judo career? I'll start with that one. Um, so Ronda came in right when I was retiring. So I retired pretty young, actually, after my second Olympics in Sydney. Uh, I was 23, and I s stepped off the mat and basically said, if I'm unwilling to do something different, which included not cutting weight and probably moving, then I was going to stop. So she was in the next two Olympic Games after me. I was the first American to win the Junior Worlds, man or woman. She was the next 10 years later. Um, so we've kind of had, you know, similar, you know, kind of paths through the judo world. Um, you know, I think she probably had some similar experiences as I did. I don't know her personally. I know her mom. She was a world champion judo player. Um, it's very hard to be good at judo in the United States. Uh, we don't have a great support system. You're basically making it on your own. And, you know, it's a little bit of a revolving door of athletes. The one thing I'll say about the wrestling community is, I mean, I've met Chris when I was 17 years old. So I've known a lot of our best friends for my whole adult life. I mean, I've known Momir forever. He's one of my favorite people in the world. I just have such respect. And I feel like I was kind of welcomed with open arms into the wrestling community um, because they respected me, what I was doing um, in judo and just as a person. And wrestling doesn't let go of people when they retire. Wrestling is very smart. U.S. wrestling community, if you wrestled and you identify as a wrestler, you're part of the USA wrestling family. And I feel part of the USA wrestling family. Um, and I know my husband does. And, you know, people like Momir, those are some of our best friends in the world. Unfortunately, judo doesn't have that same component. And I think what happened with Ronda Rousey is similar to what happens to a lot of us elite athletes in judo in the United States. You serve your time and you break your back and you spend your own money. And then they don't call you until they need something. And that's just not how relationships work, you know. Um, it's got to be a family. It's got to be uh, supportive. And, you know, wrestling is that. And uh, unfortunately, judo is not. Now, I have many close friends, of course, my teammates from judo that we have that community. But it's got to be a broader, a broader base. So, yeah. And the other question is, I got to ask, what was it like to uh, be cast with Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone? I mean, I have to ask that question. Well, it's funny because when it happened... It was nothing. I mean, I acted from the ages of six to 14 when I decided to quit to try to make an Olympic team. And so it just happened to be the one big 
project that I did that year. So my parents kind of limited how much I could do so that I could have a somewhat normal life. So once a year I would do a movie and then otherwise I would do local stuff in downtown Chicago. Like I would do commercials and voiceovers and stuff like that. Um, so my mom actually agreed to it because it was a John Hughes movie and John Hughes, obviously breakfast club, Ferris Bueller's day off, 16 candles, all those classic eighties movies. Uh, he did all of his movies in the suburbs of Chicago because that's where he lived. And I lived in downtown Chicago. So my mom read the script and she said, this sounds ridiculous. These parents leave the kid home and fly somewhere. That's just a terrible idea. <laughs> but you know what? It's John Hughes. It's in Chicago. Let's do it. Thank God. Right. <laughs> Thank God, She said yes, because it turned out to be Sometimes you just don't know what's going to translate. You know, on paper, it sounds ridiculous and you get it on screen and, and it's great. So no, it was a great experience. It wasn't, I didn't know what it was till much later. None of us did. So, you know, other than being a really fun experience, tons of kids on set, Catherine O'Hara is hysterical. I loved her. That was the mom. I don't know if anybody's seen Shit's Creek, but if you haven't, it's great. Um, Macaulay was just like a normal annoying eight-year-old boy at the time. I mean, I have two sons, so I, I'm fully aware of what that looks like. But no, he was, you know, we were just like a normal group of kids, as normal as you could be on a movie set, going to hang out with Macaulay Culkin and his bodyguard being our chaperone. You know, it seemed normal to me at the time. Thank you. Yep, cool. Go ahead, Kevin. All right, so I got a question for Chris and Hillary. Uh, so first question for Hillary uh, I, just, I know you do some work with United Way. You're currently the director um, of events and, and uh, volunteers there. So kind of what does United Way mean to you? And if you could give us a little information about it. And then for Chris, um, what did it mean to you uh, being the alternate uh, for the Olympic team twice and then coming back and actually being a coach for the team? What did it mean for you to be come back as a coach? Um, so yeah, I am working at Pikes Peak United Way. I actually stayed home with my kids for 14 years because Chris sells medical equipment and has a pretty demanding job. Um, and I'm glad I did it, but I am really excited to be passionate about something again, that's kind of my own thing, not just parenting. Of course, I'm still parenting, but, um, at United Way where we work on youth success and family stability. And so I go to work every day and try to make my community a better place, try to get people excited about the work that we're doing. And so I'm thrilled, to be honest. Uh, it's, it's kind of like having another goal, like with the sports or the acting. It's like my new goal, um, which it's nice because it's not just something that I'm doing. A lot of my goals in my younger life were very, you know, me focused, being an actress, being an individual athlete. And so now I kind of get to put my passion towards the community versus just myself. On to me. So, you know, that question I get asked a lot and it's, you know, one of those, you know, so you got to think of my, my situation. My wife is a two-time Olympian and, you know, I did, I did go to two world championships. So I was the, the best in the country in between those Olympic years, but I did lose in the finals of two Olympic trials. Um, and the first one, I was beat by a better athlete. He was older and stronger, was a bronze medalist. But the second one, we were pretty evenly matched, and I had beaten him three times in a row. 
And I mean, I lost as close as you can lose. You go best out of three. He won the first match in overtime. I kind of crushed him the second match. And then he won the third one in overtime. Fair and square, I got beat. But uh, it took a little while to uh, really for that to, to kind of digest. And some of it, um, and to be okay with it, you know, because, you know, you wish oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. I, I think of the match over and over. Um, so it's hard. And, you know, you, you know how many times a month I get asked, oh, or somebody says, oh, this is, this is Chris. Yeah, he's an Olympian. And the truth is I'm not an Olympian. So most of the time, you, you know, that's like kind of an athlete's credo almost. You, you know, you don't claim to be an Olympian if you're not an Olympian. So it's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard, actually. Now, you know, having getting that assignment to be a, a, the coach for the Olympic team, you know, that was great. I can't say that that erases, you know, that doesn't make me an Olympian there either. I don't know if it does or doesn't. It was great honor. Um, uh, you know, time heals wounds. And then when you, you know, Momir, it's a lot of it's the process. It's such a cliche thing to say. But, you know, when I look back and the friendships I have and everything I did, and, and obviously I did everything I could. I trained right. I, you know, I took care of my body. But you you struck a question that took several years to, uh, you know, moments alone that you think about, like, man, you know, what do I would do to just have that match back one more time? But I'm at peace with it. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, you can look on, it's the journey. A lot of it's a, it's a common cliche. It's not, it's, it's the journey that really is it, what makes you. So I hope that answers your question. All right. I'm going to wrap the questions up. I, I have one for Hillary. I, um, you know, I understand that you reached a point, you know, in your career, in your life where you had to make a choice between whether, whether or not to continue with acting or whether to pursue judo. Um, I was just wondering what, what went into that decision and do you ever sort of let your mind wander like you know what might have been had you taken the the opposite road so to put it in perspective i made the decision to stop acting when i was 14 years old so um one thing about myself and i find i'm the same today and i'm going to be 45 years old tomorrow i really make decisions and i go with my gut and I feel like 100% when I decided to quit acting and to pursue my Olympic dreams, I never looked back. Not one time did I ever regret um, staying in that business, having that lifestyle. Um, I really am big on doing things that fulfill me as a person. That's why I love Momir so much because he's right. It's not just about what you win. I mean, Momir's won everything. And he's, he, it's just not everything about him. He's just such a good person. And to me, that's the most important thing. And I, even at 14 years old, I'm making all this money doing movies. And I literally had just been signed by William Morris, which is like one of the biggest agencies, right after Home Alone 1, 2, and then Big Girls Don't Cry. And I just went to my parents and I said, you know what? I think I want to make an Olympic team. And... Thankfully, I had parents that just said, okay, let's do that. So yeah, no regrets whatsoever. I mean, I absolutely love my life. I've always identified as, a, as an athlete and many of my friends are athletes. It's not a requirement to be my friend, but it's certainly just, you know, <laughs> So no, I, I got, it's such a great lifestyle. And I don't think, I think there's a lot of mystique surrounding 
Hollywood and the movie business. And what I would say is, you know, there's a reason why people have a lot of issues, you know, addiction issues and suicide and mental health issues and divorces. It's a really tough life to live the movie business. It's not based on reality. You know, you're going somewhere for three months at a time with this intense group of people, you have a blast and then you leave and then you start all over again with another group of people. You have no home base. And, you know, that's just not the life that I wanted for myself. And, um, you know, sports was my passion always. So I feel like I chose wisely. Yeah, I, I think you did too. <laughs> so I want to thank Hillary Wolf, uh, Chris Saba, and Momir uh, Petkovic for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure. It's truly an honor to be uh, around you guys. Uh, for everyone out there viewing, we thank you. Please subscribe. Um, you know, it'll be easy to find us that way. It'll be easy to get our content right away if you enjoyed what, we, what we've done here tonight. So everybody have a great night. Thank you, Thank you guys. Bye.